awesome, you know, that, that we can point to people in our lives. I know probably every one of us, many of us, can point to people in our lives that we say, yeah, they're a friend. They're friends. In fact, Scripture talks about, you know, how precious it is when you find a friend. I mean, a, a true friend. And the reason why it's so precious and the reason that we value friendship. In fact, raise your hand if you value friendship. Just raise your hand. I'm, I'm curious. Do we all agree on that? And the reason why we really unvalue friendship is because we know there are a lot of lonely people in the world. In fact, all you have to do is travel just a little bit and you'll discover there are lonely people. In fact, you can go downtown San Diego where we have, I don't know how many, 15,000, 16,000 homeless. And you can find, I've been there, and there are lonely people right here in this city. It's a legitimate concern. It's a legitimate conversation, I think, for us to have on the Sunday morning. We talk about the value of friendship. I thought it was interesting in those that are lonely. But it's interesting. I came across an article about a hotel in Belgium. And this hotel offers the option of renting a fish for the night, not a dead fish. This is like a, a live goldfish in a goldfish bowl. And they bring it to your room in case you're lonely. And so you can, you know, be, be kept company with this fish. It's ironic because you kids left a fish in a fishbowl on my desk with pink rocks in the bottom of the fishbowl. I got that. And so it's ironic. I had this illustration in my sermon and you left the fishbowl in my office. So anyhow. But what isn't that interesting? This article, guys, that this, this hotel offers this option. If you're lonely, you can have a fish brought to your room. Um, the hotel manager, David Dillon, when interviewed by a publication called The Independent, said that the fish rental service has been running for some years and is popular with guests. He said, we started a few years ago. The idea was to surprise our guests. We like to try to do that. It's brilliant to see how people react to it. They smile. They take pictures. They post it on social media. And people just love it. So we rent a few fish every week. It's interesting. It's so intriguing that this quirky approach, you know, to being a hotel and offering good services, you know, comes out and, and develop this kind of thing. It's interesting. Um, now, I'm, I'm not sure why you're here today. Um, maybe possibly that... You're a regular and you come every Sunday. Maybe your guest, maybe somebody has invited you and, and that's really awesome. And, and possibly you came to church expecting to hear a remarkable story. You know, a story about Jesus, you know, something that's really, you know, up there, something that's inspiring or maybe some emotional rendition of a spiritual impact that somebody had in somebody's life. And we kind of weave that story into your life and your story. And, and maybe that, that that's kind of what you're expecting. But, man, I was thinking about this as I was studying. You know, the world is, is full of sensationalism. We're, we are surrounded by it, whether it's, it's the emotional high that a movie takes us to or whether it's the deep, dark valley that we get in when we watch the news on television. <laughs> because, it's, it's, you know, that's part of life. It's part of the reality of living. And yet in the midst of that, the emotional highs and all the sensationalism and commercialism and these deep valleys and these deep lows, in the midst of that, in the middle is this thing that I want to call hope. <laughs> because that is a part of being human. 
that is a part of what it means to be a part of mankind is that that we we desire and we hunger for hope in life. And in fact, it seems like ultimately it's what's in our hands and, and it's our ability and we work at it and we plan and we maneuver and we strategize and we try to put all this effort in of, of you know, you know, working on the sure thing. OK, I can see that that's tangible. That's the sure thing. I'm going to do that and that will give me hope and that will make me successful and that will allow me to have, you know, this peace in my life. And so we see it and then say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to claim that. That's what I'm going to do. So when we understand that, I mean, there's this hunger in us. It's interesting the, the twist that our passage takes this morning. And by the way, go to Mark chapter eight if you have the word of God with you today or you pull it up on your phone, your iPad, whatever. We'll have it up here on the screen, but go to Mark chapter eight, looking at verse 22. And we'll go through verse 25 there. But let's go. Let's all go to Mark chapter eight, looking at verse 22. And the interesting twist that this passage takes is is um, is that the man that that the story is about is blind. I mean, he he cannot see anything. And now I need to say I've never been blind. I mean, I don't know what it's like. I've never been blind except you know, for the fact that about 10 o'clock at night, I wear contacts, by the way, and about 10 o'clock at night, you know, my eyes just say, all right, Tony, I'm done. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I start seeing double vision and my eyes get blurry. And by the way, I see you with this eye this morning and then I see my notes with this eye because I have monovision contacts. But about 10 o'clock at night, all of a sudden, blink, my eyes just go away and I cannot see anymore. And But I'm not blind. So I have no idea what it's like to be blind. I understand that. You know, the other senses kick in and it's a remarkable thing. Maybe you've read about that or or, you know, somebody that's blind. And so all these other senses begin to kick in. But respectfully, I cannot imagine someone saying, oh, I prefer it this way. I prefer being blind over to sight. You know, I, I cannot imagine that at all. And so. In Mark chapter 8, looking at verse 22, I think Jesus hits a home run. I mean, it's a really big deal what he does here. I mean, this is a really big deal what Jesus does for this man because he's blind. Let's read it together. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, now imagine this, let this unfold in your mind's eye. When Jesus had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people and they look like trees walking around. And once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were open and he in his sight was restored. And I want to kind of just, you know, linger there for a moment. I want to I want to live in this moment for a second as we imagine what's happening. Jesus, you know, is ministering here. And the people are beginning to see what's happening. Maybe they're gathering around and I can imagine maybe a little bit of dust as the feet are shuffling and they're shouldering in. They're trying to get in and trying to get a view of what's happening here and watching Jesus as he lays his hands on this man's eyes. And then what the scripture says, what we just read here together is in Jesus, he restores his sight. He restores his sight. And as I try to process that, I imagine you know, what was happening here, not only in the realm of heaven, but what's happening in the realm of this world, this this earth in which we live, that there is this this restoration that began because Jesus is laying his hands on his eyes. And then then God begins to work and his sight is restored. I mean, just imagine that for just a little bit, a minute as we we look at the passage, it, it kind of begins 
you know, maybe perhaps with a test. He lays his hand on his eyes and then it says that he sees people as if they're trees. And so it's kind of blurry. It's the first step and maybe testing if he has enough faith, if he's going to take it to the next step. And then what happens? Jesus continues. He takes it to the next step. And of course, you know, there's this restoration that happens and sight is restored and likely not only restoring the man's sight, but restoring people's faith in the process. I mean, did you catch that? Showing them that there is hope. That's the first blank you're feeling. Showing them there there is hope when it seems that there's none in this world. And as I said, I cannot imagine what it's like to be blind. I really can't. I I can't imagine that. How horrific and how challenging, how, how that would stretch me. I cannot, for example, I cannot imagine what it's like to be poor. I mean, I mean, really, really poor. I'll never forget our work and witness trip. Heidi and I went on down to Guatemala City and we we built a church there. And uh, before I went down, my wife went three days earlier and she did ministry in the dump, the city dump of all places. And you know what she did, teens? She um, she fed 5,000 or many of them, not 5,000 of them, but she fed many of the 5,000 homeless children that lived in the dump. And they made their homes or dwellings by cardboard and pieces of wood and, and trash, basically. And they'd live them for about two weeks. And then a bulldozer would come in and they'd turn the trash over so disease would not set in. And she did this ministry before I got there on the ground in Guatemala. And then when I picked her up and or she picked me up at the airport and we got together and she began to share with me. She shared with tears in her eyes, you know, her emotion running so terribly deep because we cannot imagine what it'd be like to live like that. I can't imagine. I can't imagine living in an abusive situation. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you've lived in an abusive situation and there's this emptiness. There's this hole that's in you. I can't imagine that, you know, living under oppression or maybe you've been oppressed. I cannot imagine living with a serious handicap. My heart bleeds for my daughter. And you know, Courtney, I've talked about her. My heart bleeds for her. I cannot imagine what it's like living with a handicap. Man, I feel so unqualified to, to speak here about this. I cannot blame those who experience cynicism in this world, in this culture. I mean, the way that we're polarized and the way things are happening right now. I cannot imagine, you know, and I cannot blame people that are, that are cynics. And in fact, we see it's permeated all over culture. I mean, it's in our attitudes about, in fact, when you think about, you know, people as a whole in the United States of America, I came across an article that, that, that was speaking about the confidence of, of the American people in our government to do the right thing. In fact, let's go ahead and throw the graph up there. Um, this graph shows the confidence of the American people in our government to do the right thing. <laughs> Dare I go there, right, this morning? But in the years of 1958 to about 1964, it hovered between 70 to 80 percent. 70 to 80 percent of people in America had confidence that our government would do the right thing. And today you see what's happened with the graph, the confidence of our people for our government to do the right thing. We're lucky if we see 90 percent or excuse me, 19 percent. We're lucky if we see 19 percent of people in America having confidence in 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 our our system. One author, he writes, listen to this. One author writes, cynicism is dangerous. He calls it the frostbite of the soul. That's interesting. Cynicism is dangerous. He calls it the frostbite of the soul because it slowly desensitizes our ability to have faith. Our our ability to have faith. (laughs) 
You can imagine the problems. Maybe you can't imagine. I mean, this man was blind. Jesus ministers to. And you can imagine his problems that he had to wrestle with in his very real world because he did not have the technologies and the improvements that we have today and the advances that we have today. He didn't have all of those things. And so you can imagine him asking some legitimate questions. I mean, as this experience happens, you can imagine him asking, how can I believe in God when so much bad is around me? You know, when this is happening and this is happening and there's so many bad things happening to people. I mean, how can we believe in God? You can imagine probably he was thinking, can this guy people are calling Savior really make a difference? And you, you come here today and you're, you're OK. We've said this thing about Jesus. We're speaking about Jesus. I mean, can this Savior, can Jesus really make a difference? You can imagine the blind man maybe thinking that or asking that question. And you can imagine him really asking this question. Where was God when I lost my sight to begin with? Where was God when I, I, I lost this or I lost this? You can imagine the question, you know, where was he? And maybe it's the questions you're asking. Well, I love the text here because Jesus does nothing by accident. Notice this. Look at the text. He does nothing by accident. It seems that every movement and every word or action had purpose in teaching and giving us the revelation of who God is. And by the way, here's the note for this morning. One way we know God is real and active is by what he does in our lives. Just look around. Just notice, I mean, what he's doing. And we know that he's real because of that. But but Jesus, getting back to it now, Jesus goes beyond just interacting with this this blind man. He connects in a supernatural way. I, I love the message I heard Tony Evans preaching on the radio this week. And he was talking about his statement that he kept repeating. Probably the title of the sermon was, Where Heaven and Earth Come Together. I mean, think about that. Where Heaven... And earth come together. And the idea that there's these moments that all of a sudden heaven is touching earth. In fact, he goes through biblical stories and how in those stories there is a supernatural experience or something happens or life's transformed. And and it's where heaven and earth come together. And I, I love it because it's where man encounters God and God encounters man and folks our way that we connect with God. If I can get this out at all, our way that we connect with God is through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. In fact, one commentary lends to this. And in fact, she's a female scholar. And this, this, uh, this scholar writes about this relationship that, that God desires to have with us. In fact, relationship that God desires to have with you. And so I want to invite you because it's so lengthy. I'm going to have you just follow along on the screen here as I, I share this paragraph from the commentary. Because it's so, I believe, so rich that I want us to all get it. So bear with me. Christians, she writes, Christians are familiar with the Trinity. But perhaps the most stunning feature of the fourth gospel is what I have termed the quatrinity. In John, Jesus insists that the intimate relationship that exists between him, God, and the Spirit also includes believers. The believer does not stand close by admiring the majesty of the Trinity. Rather, they are an equal part of it. John tries to push at this by grabbing hold of a number of terms and repeating them like abide, love, the language of being in, and later in the discourse an emphasis on the oneness. Johannine believers don't imitate Jesus. 
Think of that. They don't imitate Jesus. They participate in him wholly. If the passage is read aloud and preached, the reading should go through verse 23, the pinnacle of the passage. Quote, Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. I mean, if God and Christ have made their home with us, how can we imagine that there be any distance between us and God? This, in turn, affects our eschatology, which means the study of end times. Everything that matters, that is, ultimate intimacy with God and Christ, is available now. And it's bold in the commentary here. I don't think it's here upon the screen, but it, it's a bold print here. And rarely they do that with the word. But now, that, that relationship, you see, that's the point of the commentary. This intimacy, the perichoresis of, of, of Father, Son, Spirit, mankind. And, and it's a relationship now. And what might one hope for beyond that? God is not currently holding out on us in any way in life, abundant life. It's available for living from this moment into eternity. Amen. Now, I personally am a little cautious to adopt the term quatrinity because it kind of almost puts us on that same level, equal level with with God. And so I, I would back away from that term. But man, it just points us to the relationship that we have through the Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit that's moving. It's the Holy Spirit that's redeeming. It's the Holy Spirit that is speaking truth. And even as my words hit your ears this morning, it's the Holy Spirit that is saying that this is truth. It's the Holy Spirit that is that is lifting up uh, Christ to us. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that is identifying sin. It's the Holy Spirit that is redeeming us and regenerating us. Hallelujah. It's the Holy Spirit that is bringing us into the process that Jesus was doing here with this blind man. The process of restoration. The process of restoration. And this text reminds us. Listen, the text reminds us God wants to restore us. Amen. God wants to restore you. In fact, in the passage in, in our text, go back to the word now, it's the word restored. And I put that in quotes there. I quote, it's restored. He uses that. He restored his sight. And he uses that word rather than he's given sight. Or this is a miracle, a supernatural miracle. It, it's the word restored. It gives the idea that we are created and we are created or even designed for sight. And in this case, something went wrong. You know, something goes sideways because he no longer has sight. And maybe it was at birth or maybe in the process of life. But something went wrong. And here comes Jesus. And he lays his hands on his eyes. And the restoration process is in hallelujah. Because Jesus is making what is wrong right again. He's making it right again. And I don't know what's going on in your life. And I'm not trying to pass judgment. And I'm not trying to work through your issues. But man, I know this. That God is in the restoration business. Amen. God wants to restore you. He wants to renew you. He wants to make it right. There's something in us. There is this passion in us that we want to we want to right things. I don't know about you, but I want to fix it. I want to make things right. My wife and I segue here. My wife and I went on a trip to... Uh, uh, Bodie, is it Bodie, California, where the ghost town is? Is that right? So we went to Bodie, California. It's a ghost town. And we love visiting ghost towns. And, and there in the middle by Main Street, the main intersection, there's these dilapidated buildings. And they've tried to leave it in its most original state. So there's stuff in the buildings. You can look through the windows. But there's this gas station. And it has these old pumps, the skinny pumps. These old pumps, they're skinny, skinny, really tall, like 12 feet tall, glass in the top where you could see the gasoline. And beside it, there's this old truck. 
And I don't know if it's from 1937 or how old it is, but this truck, it needs, it's rusted and it's being deteriorated. And, and I'm saying to my wife, I said, this is so cool. This just ain't right. Somebody needs to restore this truck. Take it home and restore it. I, I'm so jealous of those dads that, that have the time and the ability to pair up with their sons or their daughters and restore a vehicle with them. I know an old friend that did that with his son and they bought like an old 1947 Chevy pickup and they went through the whole process and it took years. There's a man that I knew in one of my churches. He loved to restore stingrays. I'll never forget my encounter of one of his stingrays. He was like in his fourth or fifth one and he'd bought this, this piece of junk. I mean, it looked horrible, like you couldn't restore it. And he brought it into his, his garage, which was literally, literally like a half acre. I'll never forget going in there and, and I looked and there's butcher paper all over the floor and he had all the parts. I mean, every screw, every nut, every bolt, every piece of fender, every, I mean, the, the engine was separated, every part in the engine all over the floor and he had everything cataloged. And then he went back to work and I went to visit him several times. It was like one of those moving, you know, those moving flip pages where you can see motion and pictures. It was like I could see this thing just being built because every time I visited him, more was done. And he chromed some parts and polished some parts and bought some new parts. And he finished this thing. And I'm telling you, wow, the stingray from like 19, I don't know, 63 or something. The stingray ended up better than showroom quality. I mean, it was better than new. In fact, he sold it for over $100,000. I love that, but and that might be a bad example or illustration about the fact that God wants to make you better than new. That God wants to restore you. God wants his spirit to be a part of your spirit and, and he is in that kind of business and, and maybe it's, it's your spiritual sight and you've not really had spiritual sight and there's been so little faith and it's just drained out of you like water drains out of the bottom of a tub and, and you're just saying, man, I'm just so empty, there's no faith. Well, God is in the restoration business and he wants to restore your faith. He wants to restore your faith in his kingdom and his faith in his church. I mean, God is in the restoration business. And for the blind man, you see, the blind man, he found hope. He found hope in Christ. And you see, that's the message of our text. You can, too. You you can find that hope. And restoration means, this is what I typed here, restoration means that God will give you peace and he will give you hope. God will give you peace and God will give you hope. And I know this this morning Because I've experienced that myself. I know that God will give you peace. I know that God will give you hope. He will give you a reason for living. If you say, God, I'm willing. God, I need you to restore me. I need you to restore my faith and my hope. Because, man, I've been beat up and I've been hit and I've been betrayed or I've been whatever it is. You know, in such and such and such and such. But God is in the restoration business and God wants to be in your business and your life. Because he loves you this morning. God loves you. Did you know that? He loves you. He wants to be a part of your life. He wants to restore you. I want to invite us just to bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. I I certainly would not want to embarrass anybody at all. But I just want you to privately, there in your chair, in your mind's eye, I'm going to invite you to pray. And maybe it's been a long time since you've prayed. Maybe it's been a while. But I want to invite you uh, just to kind of listen to me as I pray. And I invite you in your spirit to join me in that prayer. And just pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you today. You know what's going on in my life. 
I'm not telling you anything that you don't know already. God, I need your restoration in my life. Lord, I need you to restore my hope. I need you to restore my faith. Lord, restore my family. Restore my marriage. But Lord, most importantly, restore my relationship with you. Pray that right now. Lord, restore my relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. If your heart is willing, just continue to pray with me. Say, Jesus, your Holy Spirit's been speaking. Your Holy Spirit is pointing out things about me, my life. So, Jesus, I'm coming to you. And I just say, I I want you, Father, in my life. I need you, Jesus, in my life. So, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart right now, Jesus. And restore, restore me, my spiritual sight. So, Jesus, I just come here and I just sense that you're speaking to me and I choose you right now. Thank you, Jesus. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. Just between you and the Lord, I want to carry you in my heart. I want to pray for you as your pastor. I just want to pray for you through the week, privately, quietly, by myself. Just take a moment. If you're praying that, you pray that with me. Just just take a moment and lift your hand right there where you're at. Just between you and the Lord right now. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to be praying for you. Somebody else, just lift your hand. Go ahead. God bless you. Just hold it up. God bless you. Lord, restore me. Restore me, Lord. I desire this relationship. God bless you. Several of you just having lifted your hand. Somebody else, don't be shy, saying, Lord, I need relationship with you. Jesus, I need this restoration in my life. Somebody else, just go ahead. Don't be shy. How about maybe the Lord working in your family, working in your marriage? You're praying that way right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for just speaking today. Thank you, Father, for bringing renewal and hope and direction, restoring me, making me better than new, Father. So, Lord, we worship you today. We love you. In Christ's name.